Servant Leadership Institute podcast. You are in for a special, special treat today. Uh, I have a guest with us, uh, Dr. Chip Bell, and um, he's, I think he's going to add a lot of value to uh, our listeners today. So let me tell you a little bit. Chip, first of all, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Art. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. Yes, it's going to be fun to be here. So I'm going to tell some, tell the people a little about you. Uh, you're, right. You're a speaker. And you're the founder of the Chip Bell uh, Group, and you manage their office in Atlanta. Um, you've got experience with, uh, I think, the bank before it became Bank of America. Correct. Right? Correct. And you That's also correct. served in the infantry in That's Vietnam. That's correct. That's pretty cool. I just learned that this morning. Uh, oh, really? About you. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. With, with the 82nd Airborne in Vietnam. Yeah, cool, cool. Um, well, thank you for your service, number one. Well, my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. You've written a whole bunch of books. I'm not going to list them all because more than I've read. We're going to more than you've read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you've appeared on CNN, ABC, CNBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg TV. You've been featured in the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, USA Today, Forbes Magazine, Entrepreneur Magazine, Fast Company, Business Week, and you know you just sound like a very special person. So a busy um, boy, a busy boy. Yeah, yeah. So you're a <laughs> consultant, a trainer. For a whole bunch of companies, uh, Southwest, KeyBank, Microsoft, Monosano, True Value, Caterpillar, um, Lockheed Martin, and a, and a bunch of others. So um, we're thrilled to have you with us today, Chip. And uh, thank you. Uh, Going to have some great conversations, I think. Now, you seem to be your guru at Keynotes, but you really focus in on customer service. That's correct. That's correct. Actually, I like to talk about is innovative service it's about how do you create an experience that people talk about right and, uh and you know today art people don't talk or tweet about good service anymore it's got to be unique or over the top and so i like to work with organizations about how they create a culture that drives that kind of what i call value unique not just value add it's right, a whole yeah. focus on yeah ingenuity not just generosity so how, how do you go about i i like i love the the innovation part of customer service. I think that's right. that's pretty cool. Uh, but what do you say about it? Not value add, it's value needed? Value unique. Value and, unique, and, okay. Yeah, yeah. The way I like to think about it is every organization on the planet knows they're supposed to exceed the customer's expectation. Most of them do it through what I call value added, meaning taking what the customer expects and adding more, mm -hmm. like you're a frequent flyer on a particular airline. We're going to upgrade you to first class. That's value added, a linear kind of approach. The problem with that is that every time you add value, the expectations of your customers tend to go up go right up. along with it. Yep. So you're going to run out of room pretty soon. Yep. My focus is right. What I call value unique. And that is not just creating something um, more than the customer expected, but something totally different than the customer expected. And so it's a, it's an approach of ingenuity and creativity and innovation, not just linear or adding to it. We'll upgrade you to the concierge level of the hotel. Um, it's now looking for ways to charm you, to add a sense of mystery, a sense of surprise. I like to think about if customer service were a product, it'd be what I'm talking about. It'd be sort of like uh, pot, Cracker Jacks, 
you knew there was going to be a free prize inside, but you didn't know what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so that element of surprise, the, the cool thing about it is it's what gets people telling stories. Right. And uh, that's, that's, that's the key at, to advocacy is when they tell great stories about you, then people go, I need to try that myself. There's a lot of power in those stories, isn't isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, our whole history is all about storytelling. Mm -hmm. Now, you use the word innovation with uh, customer service. Tell us a little bit about more of what you've learned over the years and how you've seen some companies innovate in that area. Well, I think part of it is innovation obviously comes from the root word nova, meaning new. And um, the concept of new is always changing because our customers are always changing. As I like to say, today it's, today's fad is tomorrow's antique. Yep. Um, and so smart organizations are always looking to what do we do different? How do we do it unique? How do we keep changing what we do? What that does is that requires an organization that's, be, that's very growth oriented because I've got to continually recognize my customers are constantly changing and therefore we need to change with them. It means an adaptability in an organization. And so that too takes a special culture that says um, it's, it's not about, we know the right way. It's we're always learning another way. Right. And, right. and so that whole concept, if you look at um, organizations renowned for innovation, the ones that get the, you know, have the R and D shops that get all the patents and all the breakthroughs and so forth, you know, they're, 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 they're first of all risk takers. They're also very trusting. They're also very passionate about what they do. Um, and, but they're also constantly learning. Mm -hmm. And so I think infusing that in an organization is absolutely vital to creating an environment. And, and to me, that's where we are. We're, we have kind of reached the limits of um, incrementalism. And uh, I, I, like to, I like to tell that story in a kind of a fun way. There was a, a CEO who got all of her top executives together and she asked them, if I ask you to increase our productivity by 10%, what would you do? And they all started brainstorming ways, you know, different things they could do to cut costs, change that, this and change that. And then she interrupted them and she said, what if I ask you to increase it by 100%? And there was a pin drop. You could hear a pin drop. It got quiet in the room. And one of the folks says, you can't get there from here. We would have to rethink re everything we do if it was 100%. Well, we have kind of reached the limit of the 10%, right. you know, where we just improve incrementally. And now those organizations that are winning are saying, I I've got to make it a, a much bigger disruptive kind of change. And here again, that's to me, me it, it makes a requirement for organizations, if they're going to be successful, to be all about innovation. Now... Yeah, I, I looked at some of the books you've written. The one that caught my eye, because I'm from this generation, is, uh, I think it's called Beep Beep, Competing in the Age of the Roadrunner. Yeah, and I worked with Chuck. And as I was listening to that, what you just said, I'm going, in today's environment where information flows so fast and right. customers have so much information, um, what's some of the things that people can do today in this age of information flow that goes almost, you know, by the second. Uh, yeah, well, absolutely. And it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. But I think I think what enables people to to uh, handle it successfully is is to have one, a sense of joy about it all. I think it's uh -huh. kind of neat. What I love about the Roadrunner is he never did view the Riley Coyote as his competitor. He was, in fact, amused by the Coyote. 
Uh, and so there was always a sense of joy. And what that keeps us from doing is being overwhelmed by the stress of, of too many choices and too much information. Um, the, the, the second thing is, you know, the, the, there was a sense of openness and broadness about the way that uh, the Roadrunner looked at the world. Mm-hmm. As opposed to uh, Roadrunner, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's <laughs> one of my fun books. I got to work with Chuck Jones on that book who created those characters, uh-huh. and uh, he was 88 at the time. But Wiley is myopic. Wiley oh, is all yeah. about get, get the bird. And so he's so myopic that he tends to not only make mistakes, he makes the same kind of mistake over and over. Over and over, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he doesn't have the big picture. He doesn't have the sense of vision or purpose. It's just all myopically get the bird. Uh, And he's obsessed with getting the bird. Mm -hmm. And and so that obsession and that myopia, I think causes him to to fail when he's trying to to get uh, the roadrunner. So yeah, that's a great, great example. and much like today, as you mentioned, Art, uh, it's not a jungle out there. It's a desert. I mean, it's open. It's right. transparent. You can see everything. Exactly. And yeah. so to me, that made that metaphor much more uh, relevant to today's world. This That book was the first uh, time Warner Brothers ever licensed the use of the characters in an adult book. I was wondering about that when I saw that. Uh, yeah, we worked with, uh, I worked with my co-author, Orrin Harari, and I worked with Warner Brothers in Burbank. Um, and as I said, worked with Chuck. In fact, Chuck did an original cartoon just for that book. Oh, really? And uh, that was oh, kind of neat. Yeah. I, and then I, he I gave, a, gave me a copy of it at the end. Um, and so, any rate, but, and then Warner Books published it. Mm-hmm. And so, any rate, it's a, it's a fun book. Um, the challenge we had was it came out right at the time of the dot-com bust. And um, a lot of the examples that we had, uh, by the time the book came out, and it was delayed coming out by Warner Books. Long uh-huh. story there, but nevertheless, a lot of those companies that came out that were in the book didn't exist oh, by the my. time it finally came out. But it still did real well. Yeah. You know, still at one point it was the number in the top 100 books on Amazon among 13 million. Yeah, now some of our listeners may not know who the Roadrunner is and Wild <laughs> Coyote. So if you don't know, you're listening. Oh, go go check it, it out. Beep beep. Roadrunner yeah. and all kinds of stuff will come up, right? right. That's right. That's great. Uh, how do you, you know, you kind of talked about people who stay so focused on what's in front of them and you're trying to open them up and, and look at things overall. Right. What's been your experience with the number of people you can get out of that focus box? Well, I think the part of it is is to have a broader purpose. And I mean, there's tons of books written, including yours about the the importance of having a vision, a purpose, a, a mission, whatever label you want to call it. But it, it is, has a way of giving people a sense of focus, but it's a broad focus. It's not just a myopic focus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, and the most important thing is if it's a successful purpose, vision, whatever label you want to have, it has a compelling component to it. And so it draws people, it gives people a sense of cause, if you will. I right. think those organizations that are great, um, are those that operate with a sense of purpose and cause. And so the fact that it is causes people to feel a sense of uh, uh, deep commitment to it, uh, you know, that, I think that makes a difference. So they're able to, to handle a lot of the overload that otherwise they wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. But I think that's key. Have you, have you run into people who don't want to have anything to do with that? Just, uh, yeah, they don't last very long in the business world. Yeah, I've, yeah, they I, don't. You know, do they? Yeah, no, they don't. They don't. They don't. There are there are people who 
you know, um, who just will say, I, I'm going to keep it the way it is. You know, um, the, I love the fact that we make great buggy whips. And so we're going to keep doing that. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, I, I wish them well, but they are not going to be, they're not going to be looking. You know, there was a great book that you might know, Art, called The Living Company, written a number of years ago. I, Ari DeGeis, who was at that time the head of strategic planning for Royal Dutch Shell, did mm -hmm. a book in which he right. looked at the companies that lasted more than 200 years, and there weren't a whole lot of them. And his goal in that book was to say, what was it that they had in common that allowed them to live, exist more than 200 years? And one of the things he found is they had, one, a very uh, compelling purpose, but second, they had this whole adaptability, focus on growth, and focus on change. We've got to continue to reinvent ourselves. That was built into their DNA. And I think there are two lessons there, um, growth and purpose, that are um, central to success today. Yeah, I, I, I love your DNA comment. Um, we kind of believe the same thing, that people have a DNA in them to, to serve. But there are yes. some people who don't have that DNA. Right. Right? Yeah. And I just pray for them. I just pray for them. Pray Mark. for them. That's, that's, a great, yeah. that's a great response. Yeah, it is. I do. I do. Uh, I do. And I hope they'll find it. I mean, I hope they will because life is so much more enriching when they, ha when they do have that. Mm -hmm. um, their eyes are opened and they can see things they don't normally see. And, um, and what comes with that is a, a joy they didn't know before. And, right. um, I recently watched a cute, cute YouTube video. Somebody pointed out to me in which there were kids that were one or older who had not, who were blind, who couldn't see, and they got glasses at, at one or two years old. And the video shows all these kids seeing for the very first time and watch their faces. And I think it's a powerful metaphor because every one of them, even the little kids that were fussy, when their glasses put on them for the very first time and they could see, started laughing. Yep. That's a metaphor for me. It I is. Might do a blog, I might do a blog on that. So. Yeah, now anyway. you, you guys listening can't see uh, Chip, but he, he's been smiling ear to ear ever since we started talking. So, <laughs> well, this yeah. is, good. This is yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you I also, could be in a foxhole, Art. I could be in a foxhole somewhere. And, and, and still smiling, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other book that caught my eye, well, a couple of them did. Uh, you, you, I think it was called uh, The Nine and a Half Pr Principles of Innovative Service. Right. And what caught my eye was, what's the half? Well, you have to read the book to find out. Oh, yeah, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we always you write see it nine this or eight this or that, six yeah, this. Yeah, well, and... part of it was is design, and I won't tell, I won't let our listeners know. I won't do a spoiler, but but um, there is there is a half one at the end that's really not a full principle, but it kind of makes them all work, and so that's why I call it nine and a half. But the part of it was an element of intrigue, and the books about that as well. The books about how do you intrigue the customer, how do you create a, a sense of mystery. And so it was important to us to have a title that captured that sense of mystery and intrigue that people go, I got to see, you know, I got to see, you know, was, yeah. um, and so that's part of it, you know. So, so the work you did with, with bank, banks are, are, are interesting to me because how do they compete? How do they give that unique, uh, innovative customer service that you were talking about, uh, when you can get, you know, checking account, savings account, interest yeah. rates are pretty much the same. Um, yeah. Yeah. And everybody does stuff online these days. I can deposit checks uh, exactly. online. I can, I'd rather go to the bank and talk to people. 
Yeah, I did too. I did too. It's just like checking into a hotel. I could do it online, but I'd rather go up and pick the room I want and right. build a relationship with a front desk person because I might need that relationship later on. Um, and so, but I, it is tough for banks. And even when I was working with them years ago, um, how do you struggle to create a competitive advantage around service? Uh, and it's gotten particularly large bank. Community banks have a little easier. Mm-hmm. because they can provide kind of a financial advisor role and a sense of security and emotional sense that, uh, but you're right now more and more of it's doing online and it may be, it may go the way of the elevator operator. I mean, it, it may in time, our whole concept of what is a bank, you right. know, may, mm-hmm. may change. Um, so, you know, I think that do community banks have it easier, but the large uh, money centered banks, they're having a hard time particularly if you want to differentiate around uh, an experience. So, right, exactly, exactly. And the uh, big ones, Wells, Wells Fargo, they, they they lost their way a little bit. They did, and I think it's, it, it, here again, it's all back to character, you mm-hmm. know. I, you know, and I think that all started at the top. You know, it's not dissimilar from all that. And it's it's people living their values, not just having values. I, I, I'll tell you a quick story. and. Um, uh, I was working with a client in the building that was the headquarters for Enron at the time Enron existed. And when I went in the lobby, they were in that same building. Engraved on the wall of Enron's um, uh, building, in, in, engraved in the marble, the lobby was uh, their core values, and the number one core value was integrity. And to me, it was wow. it was a very telling point that they had engraved it in the wall, wall, but it wasn't engraved to the hearts of the people at the top. Exactly. I think Wells Fargo lost their way and they have had an incredible history. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you read the history of the company and how it all started, it's amazing. Right. Uh, what a great legacy to build on, but they got greedy and they had, they didn't have a core value system at the top that would say, you know, regardless of uh, keeping score and winning and whatever, we've got to do the right thing. Um, and they, they did lose the way, you know, I think they're finding it back. I think they recognize that, you know, we've got to have, we've got to live our values, not just have values. We don't just engrave them on the wall. They engrave them in their hearts. So yeah, I think how, that's what's your, what's been your experience with corporations when you first start working with well, them? many, many, many of them, um, here again, not as extreme as Wells Fargo or Enron. But many of them will have core values and they say, you know, it's, it's frame, it, you know, we got values. Yeah, they're framed in the break room. Go look at them, mm-hmm. you know, or they even hang them in the boardroom sometimes. But, you know, and, but the companies I've found that are successful are the ones that they, it's an integral part of every, every conversation, everything they do. They talk about it, live it, breathe it, sleep it all the time. You know, it's not something that's just done, check a box, we've got it completed. It's something they, they uh that's uh, integrated in their daily life every day i mean they're you know so it's fascinating to me and more importantly everything in their organization when they're when it's a great company everything is an echo of those values their core values. you see it in every little in little ways in right. lots of different places and so that to me is the you find evidence everywhere that's a central part what uh what kind of advice would you give people who are in the middle management area. Uh, they come to our conferences all the time. And, and the question they ask me is, is my CEO doesn't believe in this. So how do I get started in it? What, what I, I can't do anything because my CEO uh, doesn't yeah. believe in it, but yeah. yeah, do you find values? You have to start with yourself first. Uh, well, 
it reminds me, Art, I grew up in the Baptist church and um, we had an old song you probably grew up with too. It said, let there be peace on earth. Yep. You remember that song? I do. Remember the next line? Oh. <laughs> and let it begin with me. Well, let it begin with me. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, when I have people in the middle management who tell me that, I say, you know, it let's start, let it start with you. Are you a leader or are you just a follower? Because yep. if you're going to be a leader, it's got to begin with you. You can't, you can't say, well, my boss won't let me or they don't believe it. Why should I? You know, that's not being a leader. You would, you would be, you would be upset if a parent had that role. You know, mm -hmm. my parents didn't believe that. So I, I, I you know, so I, I try to remind them of that. Um, I also try to remind them of that, uh, uh, help them get in touch with what it means to be a leader, you know, mm -hmm. and part of that leadership role is helping to create a sense of, you know, um, Max Dupree, you, you remember Max Dupree oh, yeah. from, mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, air on uh, chairs and all of that, that he, his great book. Um, I remember one of his books, leadership, uh, jazz, I think it was, uh, he also wrote leadership as an art. He said that the first job of leaders to, is to define reality. And the second one is the last one is to say, thank you. Mm -hmm. And everything in, else in between is serving. Well, I think what, what he meant by the first job of the leader is to create reality is you're the one who needs to set the vision and set the tone. And so that's what means being a leader. Right. Um, and so your job there is to create the, the, the start of the character and, and role model that character. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of leaders don't understand that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They think they're sort of a glorified supervisor. You know, that's, yeah, that's what yeah. it means. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I'm going to switch a little bit. You know, we live in okay, this sure. world of um, multicultural workplaces. Yeah. And how do you bring those multiple cult cultures together, uh, especially when different words mean different things to different cultures? Well, I think it create you um, one, you create a spirit of kindness. Um, and, and so kind with kindness comes a sense of acceptance, not tolerance, acceptance. Um, and that the kind of culture is, um, uh, is the one who says, uh, it would be more helpful for me if you do it like this and not like this, or I can hear you better if you use language like this and not like this. It is, uh, it is people working together who are very different come from different cultures, have different ways of communicating, but who work together to say, uh, I want to help you communicate effectively with me. I hope you'll do the same for me. Help me communicate with you in a way that you can hear and value and know my meaning, mm -hmm. even though my words may not convey that meaning sometimes, simply because out of my own lack of understanding of your culture. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I think that's the, that's a part of it. Um, and, and, and recognizing also that at the very basic, uh, we're all a lot alike. We're far more alike than we are different. We are. And, and so it's, it's starting at, at that place where we're all similar. We're all alike as a building place from which to now explore our differences. Um, and I tell people, you know, it, our similarities make us comfortable, but differences help us grow. Um, and so, you know, that's, to me, that's a, that's a key, key way to think about it is if I'm in a, if I'm in an environment that is all about growth, I want diversity because it's going to help me grow everything the same, everybody the same, you know, might be real comfortable because right. they're just like me. Right. Exactly. I'm not going to learn that much. And yep. so I, that's part of it to me.
Yeah, I, I love your comment about growth. I think yeah. uh, having an environment that's purpose uh, and value driven, and then you provide that growth for people. A absolutely, um, absolutely, and, and learning and uh, continual learning. And Martin Luther King said that the path out of prejudice is is education. Education. You know? Yep. Yep. Right. Um, you know, it's um, as I was listening to you, there are there are people in organizations that we've run across that are in the wrong area based on what their gifts are. Right. Uh, how do you go about helping those individuals uh, when you talk about innovation, et cetera? Do you, do you try to get leaders to understand that they need to place them in an area of their gift or um, I, what's been I think that's a, it's a partnership conversation. Okay. I think it's a partnership conversation. Um, I think it's, um, and also it's helping, um, it, it's helping people take care of the people who are unique and different and odd and out of the ordinary and recognized. They may be, they may be some think, gifts they have that we aren't seeing or aren't cultivating even where they are. Mm -hmm. And right. so before I would want to move them, um, uh, I, I would say, Mike, they, I wrote an article called, um, uh, uh, man, it's, it was about um, leading Mozarts, mm -hmm. was the title of it, leading Mozarts. And the whole concept of it is, um, what, what do you do with uh, uh, the people who are unique and way off the beaten path? You know, James Cameron was like that. Steve Jobs was like that. Right. Yep. Some of those brilliant people in the world or mad scientist. Yep. And um, I, I, you know that. So if you got a mad scientist working with you, you know, how do you give them a wider berth? How do you make sure you protect them? How do you make sure that people go, well, he might be weird, but he is really talented. Right. And so help, help create a sense of acceptance around that kind of, of uniqueness. And what that does to me is sends a signal about what you care about in an organization. Mm -hmm. So my point is sometimes people do are in the wrong place, have gifts elsewhere, but sometimes they have because of where they are that they may not be able to use the gifts. Maybe before we move them to find a better match, uh -huh. we, we kind of surface what they really have. Maybe they, maybe there is more there. These mad scientists can share with us, so to speak. And I don't mean mad in a pajority way. I mean, they're different. They're odd. They're, wild ducks mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and, and maybe we need to uh, find ways to to nurture that and and make make use of it even in its weirdness and its strangeness and difference yeah you know and leaders so, we we manage teams but we all, all also manage individuals that's right and you're that's talking right. about how do we manage the individual yeah ba based on where they are that's right not better that's where right. you want them to be or what you think they Exactly. Based on where they and, are. And, yeah. And then if it doesn't, then if you maximize where they are and they, and they still doesn't fit, to me, that's a partnership conversation to say, let's work together. You know, this is not best for your success nor mine. So let's collaborate on how we find a better solution and make that individual a part of that conversation of migration to a better, more suited area. That's why I started with it's a partnership conversation. Right. Right. You know, a lot of, uh, I'm going to, talk about product companies now, people who make sure. products. And we see, you know, cell phones, they come out with new cell phones or software upgrades all the time. And I'm the type of person, I don't want to upgrade 
to the latest, greatest software because I know my screen's going to change. Right. Right. Things are going to be in the wrong place. Things are. Yeah. Yeah. And share with us in this digital electronic world and you want to do an upgrade. What's some of the innovative, unique things you can do to help the people like me accept the good things? Because I know there's good things in there I'm missing, but yeah. I just don't want to go through the change of, of not having that icon where I usually have it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think that's a great point. Um, and, and part of it to me would be to say, um, maybe if I lead with the benefits of, yeah, it's going to be, un one, I accept where you are. Two, I recognize that you're going to have some awkward moments trying to change. And I help you through that awkwardness. But I lead with the benefit of, and man, it's, it's going to be cool when you get there. Yep. Because it's worth the effort. So that to me is... Um, is it, it goes back to the it's, it goes back to the old adage of um and i like to tell people some people don't resist change mm -hmm. so that, that's a misnomer maybe started in texas or something like that they don't people don't resist change what they do resist is they resist the perception or prediction over discomfort over which they have no control oh and great. so if you start at that point to say well it's not that they aren't willing to change it's that they just want to be uncomfortable Right. So what do I do to alleviate this discomfort? And that's the same in organizations. You know, when you look at an organizational change, you go, well, what is the barrier? What is it that they think is going to happen? Well, how do I overcome that sense of if I change, this is going to be hurtful, painful, discomfort. I'm not going to like it. Uh, maybe if I involved them in, 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 from the get go, that they'll have new right. perceptions. Or exactly. maybe if I communicated in new ways. Or maybe if I, just as my example with you and the and the iPhone, showed you an emotional worth that you go, yeah, it's going to be painful, but look at what I'm going to have at the end, mm -hmm. you know. And so I think there are ways in which um, you get people through that. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was in journal school in, in the Panama, uh, one of the last exercises we did was uh, an unusual one because they found a lot of troops in Vietnam would starve to death with food all around them um, because they couldn't bring themselves to eat that big wharf rat. Oh, and gotcha. so, yep. yeah. And so what the, what the jungle school did is they had a five-star restaurant uh, chef come in and prepare food for us. Um, and it was all jungle food, but it was done gourmet. Right. Yeah. And it, and I mean, so you had snakes and monkeys and all the stuff this, from a jungle. And it's labeled, you know what you're eating, but you went through it and served yourself and people go, hey, have you tried those big beetles? They're awesome. Right. And it caused people to overcome it. But what you found is if the leaders went first and they said, hey, this is good. If you had your early adopters go first and they would talk about it. If you gave a lot of affirmation to people when they tried something they hadn't tried before, you know, eating that monkey brain. Right. Um, it Because it, it's really good. And what they found is if they've eaten it ever, then when they get in the jungle, they're going to eat it. They know, you know, that wharf rat's not going to taste like five-star restaurant, but I've had wharf rat and I didn't die. Right, right. And so it overcame what they found was the cause of a lot of death with food all around them. They'd starve to death in the jungle. So right. to me, I've kept that metaphor for a lot of things to say, you know, how do you get somebody to eat the beetle? Yeah, it's it. I have a couple stories there. I, I, I had oxtail soup for the first time in Indonesia. 
Yeah. And I'm going, well, I didn't even know they made soup out of oxtails, right? <laughs> and it was good, too. <laughs> it, it, come, it comes with a bone, and the bone looks kind of funny. You go, uh, what am I doing? What am I doing, right? And you try yeah. it, and it's, and it's very good. So, oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, I was in Afghanistan. We have a customer there, and uh, we're driving down the streets. It's wintertime, and it's, you know, pretty cold there in the wintertime. And the shopkeepers that sell meat, the meat's, the cart is hanging out in front of the store. Yeah, they, they oh, sure, yeah. It, right? It's hanging there. And I'm right. going, I sure hope, hope I don't have beef at lunchtime. And sure, <laughs> sure enough. Chip, I, I had this piece of beef. <laughs> And I, I swear, I swear this thing, when they put it on my plate, it wiggled for 10 minutes. And it really didn't, but my perception. Oh, like, yeah. In your mind. In my mind, did. I'm going, that piece was oh, hanging in my front of that store, you know. And it, and yeah. if you have the courage to try it, um, right. you're going to find right. out there's a lot, of, a lot of good things out there Absolutely. you can eat. Yeah, yeah. And there are a lot of great change management principles in all of that. There is. You know, half, yeah. half so, the time it's between our ears, isn't it? Right. Yeah. And that's why I say in the product world, you're trying to get introduced to somebody, you know, I start there and say, let's, let's think about why is, why would, why would Art not want to change his thing? What if we made sure he knew that on the other side of that change was something really good. Right. Yep. So I'll be the first I mean, one to admit that when you start talking change in the technology world, I, yeah. I'm, I'm one of those guys go, hey, there's no way I'm going to do that. Just no way. <laughs> um, uh, and what I've learned over the years is, is, especially in this this fast business world is right if i don't want to do it i got to find somebody who knows how to do it and can do it oh, better sure. than i can right absolutely uh, and empower absolutely. them to go make that happen yeah exactly yeah. exactly so you you we wrote a you know your title of your books are pretty good skip i got Thanks. i got or chip excuse me um and i saw the one with sprinkles on the front with the light bulb yes Tell me a little bit about the sprinkles. Uh, my granddaughter gave me that. Uh, my middle granddaughter gave me that uh, title. Um, when they, my, I have three granddaughters. When they come to um, visit us, we sometimes make cookies and cupcakes and um, usually decorate them. And so she was right in the middle of eating a, a, a cupcake and um, they had sprinkles on it. And she said, uh, Chippy, they call me Chippy. Uh, you know what makes a good cupcake great? And I said, no, what? She said, sprinkles. And all of a sudden it hit me. Oh. It's the same with the customer. Right. It's the same with the customer. How do you take something good and make it unique and different? And so that's that's where that all came about, is looking for ways to put sprinkles on it to make it whims sometimes whimsical. But the most important feature of it is it's unique and different. And people go, hey, look at that. That's great. You know, I... I had a situation uh, recently. I had a, I'm on the board of a, a, a group, and um, it was my turn to get donuts and I mean um, m uh, muffins. So I went and my favorite are banana nut, uh -huh. and I went to the bakery and the, got a dozen for the board meeting. And the person said, "Now, which one of these uh, glorious uh, is going to be yours? Muffins going to be yours?" And I said, "I have no idea." She said, "What's your favorite birthday? What's your birthday? Uh, favorite color?" And I said, "Purple." So she reaches in a drawer and takes out a birthday candle, purple birthday candle, puts it right in the middle. And she said, that one will be yours. And I said, did you think it was my birthday? She said, that'd be weird if I knew your birthday, but why don't we pretend it is? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> exactly. So it's that little thing. You know, I tell people treat customers like today's your birthday. 
Um, and so it's the little things that I think that make the biggest difference. Um, and that's it, that the whole book is about bringing that sense of sprinkles to everything in, in the customer's experience. And so it proved to be a really good metaphor. So, yeah, you know, as you're talking, I, I was remembering my dad the first time I took him to Starbucks. And my dad, he just drinks coffee, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and we got to the counter and I ordered my, you know, blah, 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 blah drink. Right. He says, I'll just have a cup of coffee. And the young man behind the counter says, well, what do you want in it? And he says, yeah. nothing. I just coffee. want a cup of coffee. He says, no, no, you yeah. got, he says, I just want a plain cup of coffee. Right. And the young man right. behind the counter, I was really proud of him. He says, he says, sir, with respect. And he says, sir, we don't make just plain coffee here. Right. Right now, that's right. the uniqueness you're talking about. As a, exactly, as a, exactly. You know that young man did something. I'm not sure he realized it, but he oh, was yeah. trained to say, "We do something special here." That we do something it's special. It's just here. not a, a so, plain cup of coffee. Yeah, no. Yeah, let's make it unique and special, and then again, that creates more likely that people will tell about it, mm -hmm. and t tell that great story, and make people, other people, say, "I got to try it too." Right. So. Right. Uh, What's your most recent book you've you've uh, the one I'm published? the one I'm working a new one. I have a new book coming out in September called Inside Your Customer's Imagination. And the subtitle is Five Secrets to Breakthrough uh, to Creating Breakthrough Product Services and, and Solutions. But it's it's all about how do you create a partnership with customers so that they co-create with you. Mm -hmm. And um, it's littered with lots of stories of examples that you might not have, we, that people didn't know. Um, and the, the, that started Vans shoes, the skateboard shoes were uh -huh. started literally by a customer mm -hmm. uh, who came in and said, why, why don't you make shoes that are brighter yellow and uh, hot pink? And, and uh, the, the owner of Vans, it was, said, well, why don't you go to the fabric store, pick out whatever you want, and I'll make it for you. And that started that whole concept. Um, the Egg McMuffin was started by a customer. Mm -hmm. um, e even Build-A-Bear Workshops, uh, you know, it was a customer, a kid who started that for, for Maxine Clark, came up with a concept for her. So at any rate, it's all about how do you involve the customer in, in ways where they are not just uh, in, uh, indirectly involved, but they're very directly in creating products and services. So, um, it's been a fun book to do. I fin it's finished, you know, Bear Colors publishing it uh -huh. and, um, it'll come out in September. So in fact, we just, uh, today finalized the cover. Oh, so great. It's ex great. exciting time. Yeah. So, yeah. The cover usually is usually one of the last things you do, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Chip, what kind of things have you run across in the last six or 12 months that make you go, wow, that that's pretty cool stuff that that's company doing. What are some of the wows you see in the, in the workplaces today that wow you? Uh, the most, the most, uh, well, in fact, I just did an article for Forbes on it, um, was, um, I, I, we, my wife and I were on vacation and we stayed at a hotel in Lynchburg, Virginia called the Craddock um, Terry Hotel. And it was um, at one, the building was, um, used to be the fifth largest shoe company in the world, uh, the Craddock Terry Shoe Company. Uh -huh. And the grandson of the owner um, has taken the old building and completely turned it into a, an elegant boutique hotel um, built around shoes, the concept of shoes. 
Um, but he's done a lot of really, really, really clever things that build that shoe metaphor throughout the experience. And so it caused me to communicate with him and start corresponding with him. And he's done that now in a number of hotels, mm-hmm. number of towns. And it's a whole concept of revitalizing small towns that had some great manufacturer at one time, mm-hmm. taking that old building and turning it into something really unique and really special. Um, and he's on a mission now um, to do that in, a, in, a, in a lots of little towns in, in his area throughout Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I find that exciting because it's doing several things. One is it's creating a, a new um, emphasis on helping people appreciate their history. Two, it's, it's revitalizing an area that's kind of dying. Um, three, it's creating a, a very unique, special experience for the people who live there. Right, right. This hotel is one, you know, is one that, yeah, w- when we when we arrived, we were going to get uh, a um, dinner reservation at Shoemaker, which is a restaurant right next door, which used to be an old black tobacco barn. And the front desk person said, "Oh no, oh no, we won't be able to do that. I can recommend some other places, but a." king and uh, a prince and princess have rented the entire restaurant they're here from a foreign land and so we go what yeah a a prince and princess have rented it what we realized later it was a couple getting married this is the wedding party from new york oh (laughs) but she turned it it into magic you know the the dog concierge in the lobby was penny penny loafer Mm-hmm. and uh named penny loafer and so uh but people were able to if you wanted to sign up to take penny on a walk you could do that i mean there's just all kind of things we had a christmas tree in our room and a shoe box box full of shoe ornaments to decorate our little christmas tree in our in our guest room i mean i can go on and on but it's a whole concept of adding a sense of of uh enchantment uh, to an experience, but the experience is all happening in this antique turn of the city. This building was built and the company was built in 1905. The building mm-hmm. was built in 1905. Mm-hmm. And now it's a hundred year old building and, um, and, and now a delightful thing. I think that's exciting to me in a lot of different ways, that whole renaissance of a place like that. It is, it is. You know, I, I did some work in Pennsylvania uh, late last year in a small town called Shoemakersville, uh-huh. and it's about an hour and a half east of the airport in Philadelphia. And right. you know, at first I went, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, how on earth did you get me a gig in Shoemakersville? Right? I'm, yeah. I'm waiting for the gig in Hawaii, and and, and I get Shoemakersville. <laughs> but you know, we like to go when we go to those towns. We don't want to go to a chain restaurant. We right. want to go to the local. Uh, pub sure. or local restaurant and we had an extra day so we went over to Valley Forge and all the little inns is where we stopped yeah and talked to the locals and and had some great food some great conversation but you know what we miss out here in California is the history that right. you guys have on the East Coast right and you right. can find right. all these little things I, I can probably name two buildings that fall in the category you just talked about they were Good old buildings gracious. that was used for something else, and they've been right. repurposed. They haven't been torn down. You know? Wow! Uh, so, wow! Uh, yeah, Chip, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here. Um, okay. Do you have a couple, maybe one or two items you'd like to leave our listeners with today? 
I can leave you with a story. Oh, great. That's even better. This is a, this is a servant leadership story. Um, and the, I, I like to tell groups when I work with them in, in a training session, if you went on vacation for a couple of weeks and while you were gone, um, all your employees got together and bought a lottery ticket. And their decision was if they won the lottery, they would um, uh, share, they e- share it equally. Well, they win. They win the biggest lottery mm-hmm. ever. It's huge. They're all... And so you've been on vacation, so you didn't participate, but you come back from vacation, they all march in your office and decide and announce to you that they're all now independently wealthy and they're going to, they're going to retire. They're going to resign. Um, and your CEO has already told you, you're not getting any more people for a couple of years, but they'd like to stay on as full-time volunteers. And mm-hmm. these are going to be only employees you'll get. So what would your leadership style look like? if all of your employees were independently wealthy, full-time volunteers. And I told that story to a group that I was working with and I had a guy on the front row say, I'd suck up and ask for forgiveness. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. But I like to think of leadership. To me, when you think of leadership, particularly servant leadership, you know, what does it mean? It means leading in a way that with that kind of assumption, and so then what does your role become mm-hmm. um, if the kind of employee you have doesn't need you to be command and control? They right. just need somebody to run interference and be your support. Exactly. So. Exactly. Well, I love what you said at the beginning. You know, it all starts with us. And Absolutely. you really can't have that innovative customer unique experience without the people who right. want to do that. Uh, so exactly. I take my hat off to the work you've been doing, uh, Chip. Well, thank and, you, Art. I appreciate it. And likewise, I I follow your work. I've, I've, uh, Farmer Abel is on my bookshelf. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I have to tell you, um, it's a great the, parable. The, the 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 early book that hit me the most when I was an, a young leader was a book called The Goal. And I don't know if you ever. Uh, read oh that yeah. Or not. And, I have. And right. a you know, young leader in charge of a manufacturing, and he, one day, he's so frustrated about not being able to change. He he goes down, grabs a pizza and a six pack of beer, and goes up on the hilltop and looks at the plant, right. going, "What am I going to do?" Right. Um, and you know that has stayed with me my entire career. Yeah. Because absolutely, it isn't just tell people what to do. It's how am I going to get these people to come together? Yeah. And sometimes right. you got to step back from it, think about it, look at it. Take all the information in and go, what's best for the people in your organization Absolutely. to get where yep. we need to go. So it all starts there. Thank right. you for the, for the kind words on Farm Rainbow. It was one of the, Oh, absolutely. Uh, we had a great time writing that book. I'm uh, sure you did. So, you can tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Chip, thank you again for being oh, with us. I, I know our, my our pleasure. Thank you. Are going to walk away from this feeling like, you know, you've really provided some unique value for them. Um, great. My I pleasure. That. So you bet. Um, Everybody, thank you for joining us today. Um, if you get a chance, go out and look at, um, do a search on, on Chip Bell, and you're going to find some amazing, amazing book covers and titles that are going to fascinate you. And uh, we sincerely hope you go out and pick up a few. I'm going to go read The Roadrunner because that's, you know, that's the first one that caught my eye. So, and, and then Sprinkles. So, um, So, Chip, thanks again. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. And uh, guys listening, hey, join us again. Look at us on servantleadershipinstitute.com. 
and uh, we've got a lot of podcasts out there that you can listen to. So thank you guys for joining with us today and spending your time listening to Chip and I just hang out. You bet. So take care, everybody. Take care. Hey there. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Art and Dr. Chip Bell. Chip has given us a free gift to send to you. It's a sample chapter from his book, Kaleidoscope, Delivering Innovative Service That Sparkles. To receive this free gift, email us at info at servantleadershipinstitute.com with the subject Chip Bell, and we will send that over to you. Also, be on the lookout for new webinar events happening in March. Visit our website at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com to learn more. Thanks again for listening and allowing us to add value to your day. 